Let's pray uh, before we get started. Pray with me. Jesus, we're thankful that we get to gather this morning. We're thankful that we get to, to come together as a body. Lord, we're thankful that um, sitting at home or sitting in this room, we don't have to be separated from one another, God. So we just pray um, that we rest in that place of, of your promises, Lord. And we just pray this morning that, you will, that we will have an encounter with you that is life-changing, God, and that it, was, um, it just renews us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Couple things. Uh, first, for elementary age students, if you want to go back, I can't see who's back. That's Katie back there. Uh, elementary age, if you want to go with Katie, y'all can make your way there. Uh, the toddlers, if you have a toddler that would like to go, Jenny is back there. She'll hang out with those. And also downstairs, there's a nursing mom's room that you can still stay plugged in and watch the service and, and participate in that if you need that this morning. So middle school, you're going to stay. We usually pull y'all out because David will bore you. Uh, so we're keeping, <laughs> we're keeping you in here because if you're bored with me up here, then you're going to be bored every time anyway. So it doesn't do much, doesn't do much good with that. Um, so y'all stay in for today. And um, yeah, just excited about being here. I told, I tell our students all the time, I, I'm going to give a brief message and then everybody I work with and doing that gives a big sigh and an eye roll knowing that it's not going to be brief. And so probably this morning won't be much different than that. And also, I want to apologize to the folks who are doing the live stream. David's really good. There's a mark right here that you have to stand in front of. If I can't move from side to side, I lose the ability to speak. And so, y'all bear with me. You're going to get the wide shot, I think, the entire time. Um, so, but I was really excited about sharing just what God's been placing on my heart. Probably if we go back all the way to January, it's been something that's incrementally been growing with me. And so before we can kind of dive into what we're looking at today, um, I want to give you some context and some background on where God's been working on me. And so while I'm doing that, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip open to Romans 1. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 17. But back December, January, just trying to think about a direction for our, our youth ministry. And one of the things I felt like the Lord said to do is like they need to know the gospel. They, may, they come up, they know stories, and, the, and they're taught all the things, but we have to engage them in a way where they encounter the gospel in their heart, and it becomes a heart language, not just head knowledge. And so started reading books and started praying about that. We came up with a new name for our youth group, which is Romans 116, or just 116, which is why we're looking at that today. But it just impressed upon me the need, if we want to have a faith that travels for our students— then our students have to know the gospel, they have to be able to share the gospel, and they have to be able to teach the gospel. And that's been the focus since January for our student ministry. And it seemed kind of a, a good, like, trendy thing to do with our group, and they liked it, and they enjoyed it. But then when uh, the lockdowns happened, that whole idea of going out and sharing the gospel went like this for a long time. And, and I felt like that was, God used that time to, to secure this calling in my heart. And actually convicting me of putting my putting actions to the words that we're talking about. And um, just one specific moment and story, Tyler Pitter and I, some of y'all know, and we were walking um, to lunch one day. We're walking from the old building, we're walking to the square, and we're, we're walking forward and this girl's walking towards us and she has a shirt on, you can see from a long way, it's, it's got a cross on it with one of those big red, I'm against, time. I don't even know what those are really called, but a big sign and, and, a cross, and an X through it, and it said, bad religion. And I'm walking towards her, and I knew immediately that God was calling me to stop and talk to this girl. 
I, and I start going through the things in my head. It's like, I'm an old guy. She's a teenager. I'm going to stop her. This looks weird. This is crazy. I can't do this. And I start making the excuses in my head immediately of all the reasons why I need to just keep walking right on by, regardless of what God was telling me to do. And I did. I just kept cruising right on by her, got to the restaurant, sat down, and beat myself up for the next 30 or 45 minutes as we're eating lunch. But I made a decision at that point that that's never going to happen again. And that's where this idea of sharing the gospel took, like, like it, it was an abstract idea before, and it's becoming a concrete idea in my head and, and, and physically in front of me because I see it over and over again in opportunities to share the gospel. And I made a commitment to God then, I made a promise then, that every time you call me to say something, I'm going to say something, regardless of the consequences. And so that's what we're looking at with our students. That's what we're talking to them about. Share the gospel as often as possible. Share the gospel with everyone you come into contact with. And that's a little bit of what I want to share with you all this morning. We're going to look at Romans 1, 1 through 17. And when you look at these Greek letters, they follow this specific line of logic. There's this, the sender's name, there's a recipient's name, there's a greeting, there's a blessing, there's kind of an introduction, and there's a thesis statement at the end of it. Right? Everything else through this entire letter centers around this one or two verses that are the point of the letter. And that's what Paul does here in Romans. I'm going to start and we're going to read verses 1 through 10 to start. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. It's like he identifies himself, right? Here's my name and here's what I do immediately. It wasn't tent maker. It wasn't his occupation, it was his calling, is how he identified himself. He's called, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Regarding his son, as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of, power, son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake, and you also are among those Gentiles who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. So I thought it was pretty interesting. He introduces himself and he tells you what he, what he does. He's called to be an apostle, apostle to share the gospel. And then he gives you a mini gospel lesson right in the introduction, right? He's like, here it is. Here's who I am. Here's what I do. And here's an example of that almost immediately. To the recipients, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's who we're writing to, the Romans. First, I thank you. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at, the la at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. So it's here that Paul gives this blessing, he gives this acknowledgement of who they are, he goes through the entire list, he, he, he keeps to the formula of what one of these letters are, right? Here's who I am, here's who you are, here's what I do, here's how I'm going to bless you in this. And he, and he moves very quickly into what the truth of the gospel is for everybody who will listen and who believe, and he gives us a purpose, right? He's here to call all, he's writing to call all Gentiles to Jesus, and it's important to note that Paul doesn't plant this church in Rome, but he does feel compelled to disciple them in deep relationship. 
And so that's why he's writing the letter. That's the purpose of this letter. Verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had a, among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are, who are in Rome. So this is where he starts addressing the Romans. Right? He's coming to them, he's, 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 he's discipling them, and he is blessing them, and he's also encouraging them. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 1.8, it's a similar verse here. He tells the Thessalonians that their faith has been known throughout the world. And in here in Romans, he's telling the Romans that your faith is, being know, is known all over the place. Right? You're doing what you're supposed to do by spreading the gospel, and he's excited and he's encouraged by this. And it's obvious at this point that the Roman church is going out and doing the things that they're called to do. And Paul, just to kind of help and to encourage them on, explains, I've been trying to come. And my, his purpose in coming, one, is to encourage the believers there. That's that verse. Your, your faith is known throughout the world. He's encouraging them that you're doing the right things. And the second thing is to preach the gospel to them, which I found interesting. So I'm reading it. He says, I'm preaching the God, I come to preach the gospel to you so that I also may have a harvest like in the other churches. Well, the thought that I had was if this is a church, don't they already know what the gospel is? Because it's, it's obviously carrying out the gospel. And Paul still sees it important as to preach the gospel and to teach the gospel, which is important to me because that's what I do every week with our students. I used to make fun of the church I grew up in that we would have an evangelist come to church every one Sunday a month when I was growing up. And it's like, why is an evangelist coming in the church? We're already Christians. And then I look at this and say, nope, we have to constantly be aware of what the gospel is. We have to constantly be retaught what the gospel is and to relearn the depth of the gospel so that it doesn't become old news to us, but it remains the good news that, that Jesus intended it to be. And so for me... It's important to hear this and know that preaching the gospel and teaching the gospel is, is something that's important week to week, month to month, and that it has to be a primary part of who we are. And not, again, not just in a church setting, but at home in our studies and our devotionals and how we're encountering Jesus. Last two verses, verses 16 and 17. All that other stuff was to get to this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from, la from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous, the righteous will live by faith. This is the thesis statement, right? To not be ashamed of the gospel and to teach it first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. That's the thesis statement of, the, of all of Romans. Everything we read from this point on in Romans is read through this lens of this is for the Jew and the Gentile, which is everybody, right? It's an inclusive thing of all people. And everything we look at from this point on is through that lens. And Paul, as he's writing this, tells us, first of all, that he... To be unashamed, he's saying, I glorify in it. I'm excited about it. I want to teach the gospel. This is what I love to do, which is 
weird to me because he's been stoned for it. He's been thrown in prison for it. He's been beaten for it. And he says, this is the thing that I want to do more than anything else in the world. And that he has to proclaim it wherever it goes. And it's an honor to every time he gets the opportunity to speak it, to say it, to teach it, to show it. It's an honor for him. And he embraces this in a way that most people, most of us don't. And so what Paul is really wanting us to understand is that this is the power of God to save all of us. And there's two characteristics of salvation in Scripture. There's more than two, but these are the two we're going to focus on this morning. And that is God's saving initiative and that it's offered to people who don't deserve it. That God is the one that does it, and he gives it to people who don't deserve it, yet he, can t- he does it anyway. And so that's the radical news of what the gospel is. A God that is holy, becoming something that is not for a time, so that he can bring his people back in relationship with him. And this is the power of Jesus, not for some against others, but it's salvation for, for all people. It's not a matter of maneuvering ourselves to be in this right relationship, right, to do the right things. It's about his salvation. He makes it possible. He makes it the way. And so for us, it's not about what we do. It's about who we serve, who we love, and who we're in relationship with. So the mission statement for all of Romans, again, everything we read, is that the gospel and sharing it is one of the most important things that we can possibly do. It's the, it's the, after our acceptance of Jesus and being in relationship with him, it's next, right? It's one and two. C.S. Lewis says it this way and much more eloquently than I can say it. But C.S. Lewis says Christianity, if false, is of no importance and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And we can change, the, in my mind, I change those words around to say that the gospel, if false, is of no importance and if true, it's of infinite importance. The gospel can't just be kind of important. It's either everything or it's nothing. And I live in that world of black and white, so that's really good for me. I don't like the gray. So if you can tell me it's this way or this way, it's easy for me to step into that place. And I acknowledge that for a lot of people that there's, there's some gray in this, and it's hard, and you got to wrestle with some things and, and just pray through that and encounter God in that way. But for me, all of this says, how do I live a life that's unashamed of the gospel? How, for me personally, do I live a life where I don't walk by this girl with a shirt that says bad religion with a cross on it? And that's what I've been sharing with our students, with your students, with your children. That's what I've been talking to them about. And the good thing about, the interesting thing about working with students is that they don't go through the niceties of telling you, kind of giving you the questions that they have or if they disagree with something. They don't say, well, what about this? They just kind of from, here's what I think and here's where you're wrong and you don't have to, like, you don't have to guess what they're thinking. You don't even have to ask. They just tell you. And I got one student who challenges me pretty often and she said, so what you're telling me through all of this stuff is that I got to walk around everywhere I go saying, God, 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 Jesus, 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 God, God, God. I said, I hadn't really thought about it like that, didn't see like that would be that effective, but that's what she heard, and I gave her some really bad answers for like weeks in a row. I did not, I was not prepared, it wasn't good, there was nothing about it, and she kept saying, if I do this, I'm not going to have any friends, and I said, you're probably right, Um, so how are we going to do this, how are we going to work through this, and finally, after stubbornness on my part, I decided to pray, all right, God, what is the answer to this question? And the answer, I believe, is 
not going around saying, God, 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 Jesus, 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 but walking around recognizing that God's presence is on you and in you. That when you walk into a room or you walk into a conversation, you're walking in carrying the presence of God. That becomes a testimony in itself at that point. See, if it's not that, for me, it was a realization that God isn't uninterested in what I'm doing. There isn't a time where he takes time off and I can go in my room. It's like, he doesn't stop at my bedroom door where I can just go in there and block him out and get some alone time from him. He's with me all the time and he's, he's challenging me all the time to share what it is he's done for me. And so when I live recognizing that he is, he is everything, I become less religious and more relational. So we, in order to move in this place of recognition of God's presence, we have to have an encounter with Jesus. I'm watching this documentary with a group of guys and girls on Monday nights. It's called Sheep Among Wolves. And I'm watching this. It's, it's about Iran. It's the emerging church in Iran, how the church is exploding there. And there's this one story of this woman who has been struggling with depression. She's struggling with anxiety and fear. And for four years, she kept, she just stayed in her house most of the time. She just stayed indoors. She would go out to go to the grocery or the market, and she would come back. And then at one point, she goes to the market, and she, she says in the, in the documentary, I made a friend. I don't, I've never made friends at Kroger. Obviously, David hasn't with his mask on. But... She encounters this person, and they start talking, and the guy looks at her and says, hey, why are you the way you are? And she starts to go through her life story of how bad her life is, right? She tells him all the things. It's like it's a tragedy of events. And the guy looks at her and goes, oh, your life isn't that bad. And he starts to tell his story, which makes her story sound like easy. And he, you know, he, he, she looks at him and she goes, well, then why are you the way you are? And he said, if you really want to know, meet me at my store tomorrow. So she goes home trying to figure out what it is about this guy that's different than her, that had this terrible life, that's not struggling with fear, depression, and anxiety. She gets up the next morning and she goes to the guy's store and she walks in, she sits down, and he shares the gospel with her. He shares Jesus with this woman and he completely transforms her life, and it came from her recognizing that there was the presence of God on him. And now she's leading one of these churches in Iran that's exploding every single day. See, when we have an encounter with Jesus and we recognize his presence in our lives, everything changes. The way we read the Bible changes, the way we pray changes, the way we, the way we do devotionals change, the way we worship changes. All of those things without an encounter with Jesus are religious activities. But when we do those things and we encounter who Jesus is and we encounter the Holy Spirit, it's, transform it's transformational activities. It transforms us down to the deepest part of our core. And what happens is we become like Paul where we can't help but share the gospel with people. And so the first thing we have to do in our lives to share the gospel is to recognize the presence of God in our life everywhere all the time. We don't have to shout at people and tell them that Jesus, 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 God, God, they'll see it on us and in us. The second thing I think is this idea of surrendering to God, right? We can't present the gospel to people if we haven't surrendered to them. 
I was talking to Luke Bentley a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me a story about a guy on a drum line at Michigan State that told him, said, if you really think I'm going to hell, why aren't you sharing Jesus with me all the time? That was pretty convicting for me. See, this kid had probably grown up in church. He'd probably been hurt by the church. He'd probably been impacted by a false representation of who God is. And so for him, there has to be believers who can present Jesus accurately, right? Not this religious ritual that we go through, but this relational aspect. And the only, again, the only way we enter into authentic relationship with Jesus is if we surrender to him. And when we surrender, again, that helps us recognize the presence, but it also gives him control. It lays down the things that we want, the things that we desire, our plans, our goals, and they become his plans and his goals. Not to say that he takes all those away. He just may, he just may confirm them for us. Again, I, I'm sorry, I'm a storyteller, but telling, talking to my students at one point, I said, hey, if, if God called you, to get up all your stuff, he's probably not, but if he did call you to give up all your stuff and go to the other side of the world, would you do it? And they kind of, they knew what the right answer was. I said, don't give me the church answer. Just give me a real answer. And all of them said, I can't, I, maybe after college. They said, ah, my parents would kill me. I got to go to school. I really love football. I want to have this experience. I got to do all these things first. And I immediately felt convicted by that, not because of their answer, but because probably that would have been my answer too. And I'm not sure it's not my answer right now. I like what I do. I like being here. I don't know that I would drop everything and say yes to go and do what God's called me to do. And so I've been praying about that, right? This idea of surrendering everything I am to Jesus and give all of my goals, my plans, and my things to him. And so looking at that, again, back to that documentary for a minute. It's called Sheep Among Wolves. You can look it up on YouTube. It'll change your life. But one of the things they talk about throughout it is this idea of a disciple-making movement. It's this rapid, exponentially growing church model that exists in this area of believing Iranians who surrender everything, right? They, so they, have, they had their first encounter with Jesus, and they, they become followers of Jesus. And now at this point, they, they can die at any moment for following Jesus. So they surrender all of it in order to make disciples. And so they engage in this practice of discipling people into conversion. Not what I want to do, not what, you, what they want to do, but, but this act of obedience and saying, I've got to share, I've got to give away what God's given me. So that everybody around me knows the truth of who God is. And so these disciple-making movements are exploding throughout Iran because you have believers who say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel and I will surrender my own ideas, my own things in order to share what he's done for me. Last story, I promise, this morning. There's a guy on, the, on there, he's a drug dealer, was a drug dealer. He has an encounter with Jesus, and he becomes a Christian. He starts discipling people. He starts sharing the gospel. And what he realized, all the skills he learned as a drug dealer are, are really handy when Christianity is illegal in your country. You can share the gospel, and you can hide from, from, the, from the religious police and all these other people in Iran that are looking for him with the skills that you've learned. He learned how to, like, they meet with a church, and you dump your phone in boxes, and they put it in this place, and they take SIM cards out. All the tricks, I guess, 
of being an effective drug dealer, he has turned into, a, and, and turned into skills to be an ev- effective evangelist in a closed country in Iran. My heart is, from all of this, what would it be like if I surrendered completely? I know one thing, if I could surrender completely, I never would have walked past that young lady on the square. What would it be like if I didn't count any of the costs, if I didn't look at the cost of anything, and I just decided, whatever I do, I'm going to follow Jesus regardless of what it costs me, regardless of the things. And what I know is that here in this place and in this context, it probably not, it's probably not going to cost me my life. But it will cost me things that I've placed above him. And I've got to count that cost and be ready to give those things up if I want to surrender completely and become like him. So, I told you I've been going long. Just to kind of wrap it all up, I've been talking about this. There's, there's people in this room right now that have probably heard me say all these things at least 100 times this week. And I've talked to people about it, and people are like, yeah, you're projecting your calling on other people. You're an evangelist. It's what stirs your, you up. It's, what you, and it's like this is your thing. It doesn't have to be everybody's thing. And I have to respectfully disagree with that. See, the, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't say if you have the time or if it's your calling. It just says, go and do. And so in the most loving way I can say it, go and do. Share the gospel with everybody you come in, into contact with. Charles Spurgeon says it less sensitively, in a less sensitive way. He says that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Grab one, the one with the one that speaks to you most. But that's the truth of what it is. If we're following him and in obedience, we have to share it with people. And here's the thing about it. We, we talk a lot about loving our neighbor in this time, and we should. But when we love our neighbor, Jesus has to be at the center of it, and that's the first thing we share. Put a mask on and share the gospel. Stay six feet apart and share the gospel and showing them Jesus' love because the way we live like a missionary is to live unashamed of the gospel and recognizing Jesus' presence in our life. And when we do that, I think this place in this spot becomes a disciple-making movement in itself. I think the adults in this room can participate in changing people's lives and transforming our community. I think our students can start becoming, creating this disciple-making movement, bringing other students to Jesus. I think our children, we don't discount them. They can have an impact and an influence in changing people's lives by discipling people from the first time they meet them. And I think that that's what will, will tra- completely transform this community and in our world, for that matter. All the things we see going on on the news get change when Jesus enters the room. And when we recognize that we're carrying his presence into those places, then that's the moment where where things start changing. This morning, we're going to take communion. A couple things with taking communion this morning. We're going to ask you to come up if you feel comfortable with your mask on to grab the bread. We're going to take it together, so don't grab it and and eat. And you have the juice in the cups in front of you, or or in your chair, I'm sorry, they're behind you. and so we're going to do that. But, but before we do that, 
This act of communion this morning, it's a symbolic act of whose we are and the sacrifice that Jesus has paid for us, right? But I want to add a third thing this morning. I want you to think of one person in your sphere, in your area, that doesn't know Jesus. And when you take communion this morning, I want you to think about that person. And I want you to think about that person each and every time that you take communion so you're reminded of the importance and of the honor it is to share the gospel with them and that Jesus loves them as much as he loves us. And he wants to transform their lives. So, Bo, if you'll come up. How we're going to do that. We're going to, Kim's going to release folks a row at a time to come and take the bread. Again, when you come up to take the bread, please put your mask on. If you're not comfortable coming up and getting this, I think there's something similar to bread in those cups. So again, we want to engage this moment, recognizing that Jesus sacrificed for us and that it's for others. So I'm going to pray, and then Kim is going to release you to come up here. I'll step back out of the way, and Bo will start praying, and we'll come back, and we'll take communion together in just a second. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for the sacrifice that you've made for us, that you've made a way for us to be in relationship with you, that you love us so much, God, that you died on that cross for us, and that you created a path for us to be in constant relationship. And God, we want to be obedient to share that sacrifice with others. We want to be obedient to give away what we've been given, Lord. And we just want to step into your presence during communion now, Lord. That we'll know that this, by this symbolic act, we're participating in something. We're acknowledging your lordship over our lives. And we're acknowledging that you've called us to make disciples. So God, I pray that you will bless each person as they take communion. And that you will reveal that name to them. And that they'll share your truth with them. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.